Okay, ready for commercial. We have not anticipated fans taking the entire can and upending it. Guys, I'm going to make you set down your teacups and take your pinky fingers and put them back into the fist that they need to be in because this has gotten far too cordial. My plan is to cry a lot. And then, no, I'm actually going to do well. Who am I kidding? I'm great. Thankfully, the Red Bulls decided to score some points. I personally am not trying to be a, a homer or anything, but uh, Joe Rallis. Portland shouldn't be on the playoffs this year because they can't get their act together. 11 mils sitting on your bench, just sitting there when you could invest it into any other position. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the MLS Fantasy Insider Podcast, our final episode of the 2016 season. Uh, At first, I thought that we would have to wait another week before we could record this episode, but fortunately, uh, we're represented by uh, David V as people, so we did not have to sit out for a week. (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) I couldn't resist. Uh, Anyway, so tonight we're going to break down the 2016 season and talk about what our likes were, what we didn't like, and how we think things could be improved for 2017. To help me do this, I've assembled a little round table of fantasy minds, or at at least as large as uh, bandwidth will allow, uh, including Simon Thwaites, Jason Wiskovich, Mike Denton, and maybe his kids, uh, and Blaine Riffle as well. Travis was going to be with us, but he couldn't come. He's recently bought a house and some crazy stuff's going on with that. So Travis could not be with us tonight as he had planned. So uh, big thanks to everything he's done so far. The move has really hurt him being able to come on with us, but we still love him. Later in the show, we're going to be joined by our special guest, Guy Sanchez, and super special guest, Ben Bear from MLS. So it's it's going to be a great show. We hope you guys will really like it. How are you guys doing tonight? It's lit, you know. Yeah, had some broccoli, ch- homemade broccoli cheddar, broccoli cheddar. Oh my god, broccoli cheddar soup in a soup bowl or in a bread bowl. It was fantastic. Can't say broccoli. It sounds delicious, though. It was fantastic. It does, and you know, I'm going to say one thing first at the top of the show because I appreciated it so much. Uh, Blaine gave us a, a little plug on the Last Word on Sports podcast the other night, so I'm going to go ahead and plug them right now since we got some airtime over there. So uh, thanks a lot, Blaine, for mentioning that, and I appreciated the enthusiasm that that I heard from your response. Yeah, no problem, and I was really shocked that Matt ran with it. He had a, two suggestions for the group. And I've got one of those written down, and one of those was already on the sheet for tonight. So there's a lot of soccer minds out there that are wanting to play fantasy, and they've got questions, and they've got suggestions to fix it. I love it. I love it. Well, let's just jump right into everything then. So we're going to start with the 2016 stats. A lot of these are going to be available at MLSFantasyBoss.com for everyone to download later on. But we're going to talk right now. Uh, I sent out some information to all you guys. Uh, Let's just go with the top point earners at first. Uh, Blaine, I know you have plowed through some of this. So, what are your what are your insights? Um, how did you want to start this? Did you want to do top points per play or per position, or do you want to go in something different? I you know whatever whatever you feel like. What's interesting to you? Um, oh, you would start with me. Um, well, top <laughs> points. <laughs> well, I'll just start off with the top point scores by per, uh, position. Uh, Robles was a leading fantasy scorer for goalkeepers. At 168, Rowe had 166 for that. Um, defender Zimmerman for Dallas with 169. 
followed by Amoro. Mm-hmm. Um, Piatti ended up taking the crowded midfield spot at the very end. Um, Kleschen wasn't able to do enough down the stretch to take it back. And Valeri getting injured really knocked him down a few points as well. And obviously, Giovinco was your leading forward. It's not as big of a gap as last year, though. Via had, or Giovinco got 255 and Via got 243, so that gap seems to be closing a little bit. But he did miss a few games. He missed a few games, but still, that's a gap close a little bit. So some of the things that I looked at while looking at these stats were not just who the top scorers were, but what were some of the stats that helped contribute to those top scores. And some of these I think are going to be no-brainers. Some of them I think might be surprising. So I want to get your guys' reactions to what I've started to figure out. Uh, Starting with the keepers, I just looked at the top 25% of point earners plus Howard. And it's uh, minutes played is really one of the, the highest related numbers to a high keeper score. And then after that, it's uh, recoveries are, are two high, high, high totals of those two categories have really correlated with high scores. And then you also have saves and clean sheets. So I, I think a lot of those make sense just considering that the keepers have so little rotation and you're just going to get two points every game automatically just for scoring. So most of these keepers that play all the time, Top score was Robles, 168. You're going to get 60, 70-something points just for playing 90 minutes every game. So that that just, for me, makes the value keepers that much more important who are just going to play. What do you all think? I think it makes sense that minutes was such a big factor because with Los Angeles and Colorado, who are the two best defenses in the league, they had a whole lot of keep, keeper rotation. We had McMath and Howard in Colorado, and then Rowe and Kennedy in uh, Los Angeles. If you remember, Kennedy was expected to be the starter um, in the preseason. So to see the minutes play such a big role makes a lot of sense, considering how much volatility there was between the posts for the two best defenses in the league, which I think is, is unusual. We may, may not see that next year. Very true. And something important about Howard is – he was only here half the season, but still his points per game and his points per 90 were the highest of, of all the keepers that were there, which is why I wanted to throw him into the stats as well. Uh, I don't know how much we want to say is because of Howard or because of the Colorado defense, because I, I think their defense played a huge part in that as well, because I still like McMath playing uh, in, in Colorado, but but he's definitely one to keep on your radar going forward, especially since he only had one uh, one more clean sheet would have tied him for third most clean sheets. He had seven. Uh, third most clean sheets was eight that several people had. Biggest surprise for me, though, and I'm so glad you're here, Mike, is is Josh Saunders was one of the best value goalkeepers you could have you could have gotten for 5.0. He had 149 points. He ended up having. He was one of the people tied for third most clean sheets, and that's all that he has to mention. But we were really dogging on him at the beginning of the year. Who was dogging on Zach McMath? Just, just that question. No, Josh Saunders. Josh Saunders. Oh, whoops. I'm going to delete this. I feel like a moron. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, I think he'd be in a, in a coin toss for either Saunders or Rowe for being the best value keeper because Rowe was pretty cheap, and, and he got pretty much second in almost every important stat for keepers. For me, one of my top runners for – 
keeper fantasy MVP. But uh, I was really surprised to see Saunders so high up on the list with sort of a lot of the hate that we gave him early in the season. Well, it doesn't surprise me because I knew how many clean sheets he had. Uh, yep. That was, and that's the real mark of how he got so high points. Um, and I was messing with Jay all year, showing him um, how high Josh Saunders was in that list because he he was leading in clean sheets. I think as late as maybe August. So, I mean, he's a terrible keeper, but as far as fantasy, if he can keep <laughs> clean sheets, um, and it seems like New York has maybe figured out how to use Yankee Stadium more defensively and to play there. So. Now that again, he seems like he might have lost his job to um, Johansson. So maybe Johansson will be a good value next year. But we'll have to see. Yeah, I've got one thing to add on this. I've been working on a new efficiency rating for players based off of their production and their price. And I've got Saunders as the fifth mo- or fifth best value overall just for production and price behind what? Rose, Seitz, Gleason, and Willis. So at that price, I mean, there were a few guys that were better than him, but overall as an inclusion on your fantasy squad, he was doing, he would do much better than what Howard, Robles, Hamid, Ramondo. I mean, Ramondo's second from the bottom on this because of his price. Yeah. Bang for your buck. That's, that's what it's like. That's why I'm a big supporter of just uh, cheap keepers. Yeah, and the thing too, I believe Roe and Saunders both started the season off at five mil and, uh, you know, due to Rose consistency, he rose. Um, and then Saunders, I think, dipped all the way down to like four, six and all the way back up to, I want to say like five, five, one or five, two, um, just because of, you know, the, the bad games he's had. But I mean, hey, right, you know, right. hats off to hats off to Saunders and the defense for uh, for, you know, doing well, especially exactly. fantasy. So speaking of defensing, moving on, uh, Zimmerman, Morrow and, and Axel were the top three point earners they're very close just five points separating axel from zimmerman as far as total points earned the biggest thing i took away from this is the separation of cbis this year to have clearances blocks interceptions and now tackles be their own individual stats really hurt the impact that that set as a whole had on making high correlations to high point totals because uh, of course obviously when you're having to get four clearances instead of four of any combination it's, it's going to be a little bit harder to earn them it was still a, a decent point earner but again it was just minutes played and clean sheets that made the biggest impact on a defender's score uh goals scored was was also pretty good but i, I think just with the level of points the higher level of points that a defender is going to get anyway from scoring a goal that makes sense and I mean, if if you're more over at Toronto and you're able to rack up five goals, then that's that's pretty impressive, as well. But uh, did you guys? Do you have anything with with your little your value stat that you have, Blaine, for defenders? Yeah, it comes back to the same thing we say with goalkeepers. Um, the cheap options that are starters are really kind of pulling their weight, and the best bang for your buck again, good value. Um, the top two on the list you sent out for top 25% has Hairston and Allen, but they had what, 1200, 1300 and 1700 minutes respectively. So that's, right. they're not consistent starters. So if you get into the consistent starters, your, your top three are glad Campbell and Hoberry. So really you've got two guys that I know a lot of people were back and forth on with Campbell and glad, are they going to pull their weight? Are they worth starting? 
they've got a little bit lower uh, points per game and points per 90 than the rest of the guys. But they're cleaning up on the efficiency rating for how you're spending your money. Um, you get a you get half a point to a point more for some of the more premium defenders like Zimmerman, but you're also losing quite a bit on your efficiency and your spending anywhere from a million to a million and a half more per defender. I remember also Zimmerman, I think, started at 6.5. So if you had him since the beginning and you didn't sell him, you had, you had I mean, I wouldn't say a premium defender by any means because most premium defenders, I believe, started at 7.5 to 8. But, uh, you know, you still, I think, got a good bang for your buck with Zimmerman if you had him in early enough. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing I'm going to take with this uh, new metric next year is to look at ending price this year and where they start and then try to keep the beginning and ending prices in the mix for considering this stat at the end of next season as well. It's awesome. Yeah, just just to add to that, um, Zimmerman was the seventh best um, price rise. He had a 1.3 increase. That is, that is very nice. Yeah, so a lot of good things with defenders. We'll talk some more about the CBIs a little bit later in our next segment. But, uh, yeah, that it's uh, a little bit less about bonus points now, it seems, with, with these defenders. So that was a bit of a surprise for me at first glance. Moving on to our midfielders. Uh, yes, Piotti, Question, and Valeri are our top three in, in this category. And I think – most of the offensive stats are what really jumped out as important to to these players. So, uh, of course, goals scored and assists had had a decent relationship to a high score, but it was key passes, even more so than crosses. Crosses didn't have a huge impact, but key passes played a big part in a, a higher score for a midfielder. And what I'm really happy to see, shots, even, even more so, also played a very important role in uh, determining who was going to have a high-scoring role. So Valeri was actually number one in shots, followed by Piotti, who was number two. And then number three was actually Merrim, who didn't crack into top three, but he's seventh overall with points. So uh, I was really happy to see that. Biggest surprise, though, and it's a pleasant surprise, the fourth best-scoring keeper, Alonzo, a defensive midfielder. Yeah, he's probably one of the most consistent players <clears throat> for his price. I mean, I can't, I can't talk to um, you know the sabermetrics, uh, the sabermetrics aspect of it, but I mean, he's been, I want to say, in the top five uh, this entire year and consistently been there and a gr- at a great price point too. Yeah, I mean, one of the things with Alonzo that kind of surprised me is, sure, he was good overall in terms of he'd put up a consistent score every week. But if you take it on points per per 90, which is another, I think, better metric than total score if you want to look at, you know, how good a player actually is, I mean, to me, total points just measured, did you get injured or not? Like, it's not that important. But points per 90, he actually comes in 20th on the list. So I think there's been a lot of hype about Alonzo being amazing this year. And sure, he's been a consistent option, but there's 19 people above him if you're talking about pure production when they play. And at the top of that list, Fat Frank. Wait, the top of that list? Nah, the top is Baptista from Orlando, who I don't even know who that is. <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm looking at the ones that matter. So of, of the top 25% of point-scoring midfielders, 
Frank Lampard with uh, 8.1 points per 90 is at the top. Lodero has 8.25. That's all I'm saying. He did not get in the top 25% of point producers, though. I understand. What? I can who add cares? him to the list. He's a, who cares? The list. He's a starter. I, but he came so late in the season. He's not factoring into this part. But don't worry. He's in. He's in the list. Ah, this is some anti list And the players over 700 minutes. That's all there in the stat sheet to look at. Mm. But if you're just looking at the top 25% of point-earning players, Fat Frank is number one. Eh, Frank's a loser. Lodero. (laughs) Wait, I'm sorry. What are you talking about, Lampard? He's a loser. Let's move on. This is people. Blaine, break us down. What's the best value for your money with, uh, with midfielders? Well, this is where the where my whole metric kind of breaks down a little bit because of the guys on the top 25%, you've got Alvarez from Chicago, Niarco from D.C., and Alex from Houston who took the top three spots. And if you're going to have to play a non-premium midfielder, this is where you want to look is this efficiency rating. Any one of those guys, and I think they were followed by like Azira, Nagel, Quintero, and Pontius, you're looking for those guys to fill in the roster and those really high efficiencies, but you got to go back to the points per 90 on this to get your big scores because while these three guys up at the top were great, they were 6.1, 6.5, and 4.9 on their points per 90. So that's not going to win you a lot of fantasy games and not going to put you in the top scores on the round. But for filling in the bench or for putting that extra starter out there that you just don't have the money for yet, especially early in the season. That's where I think this efficiency comes in. And those guys were carrying their weight. And by the end of the season, I was hearing a lot of play for these guys to fill in around four premium midfielders. See, that just tells me that this is one of the positions where you need to splurge at. I agree. Yeah. Of course, the other position where you can do some splurging is the forward position. So we got Geo, Via, and BWP as our top three scoring forwards. Um, I think everyone expected that to come. And also for forwards, minutes played was uh, one of the better stats for determining how high their points are going to be. But the two absolute best stats were not surprising, goals scored, and shots. Uh, I think we knew that shots was going to be super important, and it definitely was. Geo, 176 shots. David Villa, 164 shots. And then coming in third is actually Dom Dwyer with 118. And uh, BWP rounded off, I think, uh, sixth with 105 shots over the season. So a lot of points were earned from the forwards from that position, and it's it's definitely a stat that I'm happy that we have, and we'll get more into it later. But... Yeah, I think that's a no-brainer. What do you guys think? Yeah, it's definitely a no-brainer. All the the stats guys say that shots is the biggest influence as far as expected goals, um, more so than uh, you know than anything else. So, guys who take more shots get more goals. Just makes sense. Last year, and the reason I say this, last year we had some correlation between key passes and assists for those forwards who would actually share the ball when they were going forward as being uh, a good source of, of some extra points you could earn. But with this new shot stat, it's just swung back the other way and you want those guys who want the ball and want to score. Is that what your stats are showing Blaine? 
Yeah, this one was a lot harder to read, actually. Um, your top three for this one on my efficiency rating is Ola Kamara. Kind of crushed it. And then Giovinco and Gashi were your next two. But this also takes into account price and Kamara being as cheap as he was oh, yeah. and getting all of those goals in bunches right there really helped. And then Gashi, I, I didn't get to watch him play as much, but he's his stat line just doesn't look like it. It's got to be coming from the price on that. And the rest of the pack until you hit what uh, BWP is ninth on the list. The rest of the pack is all cheaper guys that are in that under 10 million range. But again, I mean, you, you go back to, you go back to that. You need your points per 90 here. This is where you're spending your money to buy that uh, better points for every round you go into. And Gashi, Aduro's the fourth one. They're both under seven. Kamara was above seven, which is nice, because, I mean, that's on, he's what, point two behind Via? He was third. third. Yeah. I mean, you're looking for points per 90 in this, but if you have to get a cheaper option to fill in, start looking at the efficiency to see who's going to be the best bang for the buck. Yeah. Surprised Mullins is as low as he was. Um, Actually, I don't think Mullins is on the top 25% list. Let me find out where he's at and what his stat is. He only had uh, 1,277 minutes played. But for eight goals out of that, that's still pretty damn good. Mullins is... And he was 34th uh, overall scoring. And 17th points per 90 unfiltered when you don't filter out players who are like subs and stuff like that. So he'd he'd be top 15 if you filtered out guys who are subs and stuff like that. Yeah, 6.2 points per game with, you know, 1,277 minutes played. That's, I mean, I I think that's still a great value. Got him. Uh, He, his number, let me get it compared to the other one. He actually would have crushed the stats even more. He's a full, he's a full tenth of a point higher than Kamara on this standing. Which, I mean, uh, talking tenth tenth of points, basically a full point higher because everything's in tenths on this. So, All right, yeah, I have. He, uh, he would he would have really crushed the stat on this one. Mullins was fantastic. Yeah, I have him being a little bit lower with his points per ninety, uh, six point two versus seven point three. But yeah, he had a, he had a great value. But his, and yeah, I his think, efficiency think, rating uh, is off the chart on this one. I think only a couple of guys that really beat him out um, go to a little bit bigger list. Uh, Baji, Shelton, and Herbers all played really well, but they're also in that sub six category, right. sub six million. I think Mike can probably agree that he will definitely Mullins will definitely be one to keep an eye on going forward for next season. Oh yeah, because he's probably going to be a starter, and I'm imagining <clears throat> even with a probable price rise next year, he's not going to be in that premium Giovinco via BWP. Oh no! Uh, oh no! Definitely not. Yeah, we have a lot of things we can expect from him coming forward in 2017. So any other final thoughts before we get into some of just our impressions of these changes that have helped make some of these statistical changes again for, for the players be so impressive? All right, hearing none, let's just go right into it and start talking about the changes that happened for the 2016 season and our general impressions. So first off, and this question is for anybody who wants to start, just, just what were your general thoughts uh, about the 2016 season? Did you have fun? No, I hated Simon. it. Fantasy sucks. Why do I do this podcast for an hour or two every week if I hate it? No, it was great. I don't know. Fantasy's fun to me. Gives me a reason to watch the games. 
Uh, not sure if fun is ever the right word to me with games like fantasy. It's just like it's something that you do and is mentally like pretty fun. No, fun's the wrong word. Mentally, it's like it's a nice mental exercise for me. I'm not sure fun is the word to, that comes to mind. I'd be thinking of like Disneyland or, or like, I don't know, something something like that. But it, it seems good for my brain, so I'm into it. Okay, this is this is how Simon staves up Alzheimer's. Got it. <laughs> hey, it runs in my family. I got to, you know, that and coffee. Yeah, I enjoyed it tremendously. Uh, I had a, <clears throat> I thought that a lot of the changes benefited. Um, the uh, the MLS fantasy soccer. Um, obviously, with the podcast, I enjoy doing this tremendously. I enjoy interacting with everybody on Twitter. Uh, everyone here with a uh, in MLS fantasy boss and the insider. Um, I had a really good time. I uh, I'm I'm just bummed that I I dropped a hundred ranks from last year. It's what an expert I am, right? To, to me, the best part about fantasy is the community. So I always enjoy. Um, regardless. But I, I will say I, I had a lot of fun in the first half. The second half was a little bit more of a grind for me with all of the bye weeks and trying to sort all that with international absences. And we'll get to that more. But um, really enjoyed doing MLS Injury News this year and getting to interact with all the people with that. Um, so, yeah, definitely had fun. We'll definitely be here next year. Um, so, yeah. The Ben Dennery of MLS. <laughs> yeah this is this is really my first solid year buckling down and really digging into the fantasy game i've played for four years last year i had a pretty big money pot with some skc guys that finished third in the league and made my money back so i wasn't going to complain but really hadn't dug in this year and getting involved with fantasy boss and really getting going on twitter was a lot of fun the community around this game is a blast and it that's enough to keep me coming back and keep me wanting to do this for the next few seasons, at least. Excellent. I, I too had fun. And uh, I think a lot of the changes really helped uh, make the game more interesting, especially with, with point generations. And, and let's talk about some of those, uh, at least, at least three of the big categories I feel embody a lot of the changes that happened this year. And the first is just the roster size. Uh, we had an 18-player roster with 120 million budget last year. This year, we still kept our 120 million budget, but our roster was reduced on the 16 players. How do you think that played out, Jason? I, uh, as everybody knows that has listened to this podcast uh, for two years, um, I did not like the 18-man roster at all. I thought it was too too many spots, um, and even with you know four to four point five million dollar subs, I thought it was just a waste. So I'm really glad that they brought it down to sixteen. Um, for those who play FPL, it's a fifteen man roster um, with a hundred million dollar budget. Um, this year with the sixteen players and a $120 million budget. I thought it was good. Um, I do think that this allowed a lot of us to uh, splurge and buy a lot of uh, premium defenders, midfielders, keepers, and forwards. Um, hopefully, uh, you know, we can maybe fine tweak the, uh, the price points of each player and um you know, possibly even make it, you know, maybe 100 to 110 million uh, for 16 players. But, you know, I, I, I like it. You know, you have your backup keeper, then you have four playable options on your bench. Or maybe if you want to spend, you know, 
three uh, three playable options and have one 4.0 for through like a Gillian from uh, FC Dallas that I know a lot of people did. Uh, but with the roster and the 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 price points, I'm I'm I was very happy with it. I still think we could fine tweak the money a little bit and uh, just to make it good. But I I liked it. I I think the player perspective it really is just your preference. If you like being able to play the big players and that was the goal if anyone remembers back to our first episode of the season the goal that mls had was they wanted people to be able to play the players that they knew which is usually the big name players and that's why the point or it's not the point that's why the budget didn't change so you had fewer spots to spread that 120 over and you were able to get more big name players i get that some people didn't like this uh, they felt it made teams too similar or there just wasn't a lot of, of skill in doing that. For what they wanted to do, I think it was a success. But I think you nail it, Jason, that that maybe we can investigate some more of tweaking the budget or tweaking the player prices uh, to make some of those changes. But I, I think for what they wanted, it, it was a success. And I and I did enjoy being able to have just, just a rock star lineup. Yeah, definitely. It's It was good. I'm happy with it. And uh, I mean, even, even if it was the same next year, I'd be fine because any way we can make sure. make this grow um, and, you know, make the community grow, have more players, more than 29,074, um, I think that, you know, whatever way can benefit us, get the names out. I mean, because everyone's going to want, you know, David Villa, Giovinco, BWP, um, you know, Piotti, Ladero, Kleshin on their team. And, you know, policy with a $100 million budget, that's not going to be able to happen. So, you know, it was good, though. I actually didn't like the drop to 16 this year, and I don't think 18 was any better. I just think 16 compounded the problems we have with price and sure. just player selection and all of that. I really think it it just exaggerated what we had, what problems were already in the game and didn't solve anything. It's fun to have all these big names, but it didn't it didn't really help the strategy. It didn't really help anything going down, down the stretch. It was just, Oh, we get price rises and now we can afford six or seven premium, uh, premium forward players. I think a lot has to do with the, uh, with the scheduling too, though, you know, just because, um, and, and the rotation, I mean, in my opinion, I mean, I watch a little bit of Bundesliga. I watch a lot of La Liga and I obviously watch, uh, the premier league and there isn't, you know, a quarter of the rotation that there is, in any of the major leagues that there is an MLS and with that type of rotation, I think it's beneficial to have maybe, you know, two more roster spots like we do, or, or I'm sorry, excuse me, one more roster spot like we do for that rotation. And then the budget would actually benefit us um, by doing so. Yeah, you never know. Uh, so one of the next big changes was of course, how points were generated. So we had past completions with 35, passes or 70 passes with the success rate for to get points. We had total shots with one point for every four shots. You got points for fouls suffered at one for four. And of course, like mentioned earlier, CBIs was broken out into clearances, blocks, interceptions, and tackles. Um, Simon, what'd you think of these new ways to get points? So I really liked them, um, especially pass completion and shots and fouls suffered. Because I think it rewarded, uh, gave, gave rewarded players who have the potential to just go off and and just destroy everyone, like Giovinco and Lodero 
and, and all those kinds of guys, it rewarded them and made their floor a little bit higher. And so it made it really tough to choose, like, is there any way that I can't have this player on my team? And to me, it made those decisions more important than they were than they were before. In terms of end of CBIs, honestly, my opinion is who cares? I don't really care that much about defenders. The defenders suck still. You still just play the cheapest ones. Did it really make a difference in anyone's fantasy life? Nah. So um, I, I think that maybe if people, if they want the defenders to be uh, a better fantasy option, they got to give them a point boost. But nobody wants to watch a 0-0 game. So in reality, the defenders are going to continue to suck into the future in fantasy. And that's fine with me. Well, you got to look at it too with all the with the influx of uh, these major attacking names coming into the league. We're not going to be a defensive league anymore. We're, I mean, I, I think that we can show just by the amount of goal scored. I want to say we had three goal scores with twenty plus goals and at least ten in the high teens. I don't think that's. I don't think we've had anything like that in you know in a long time. Uh, I mean, you got Giovinco, BWP, David Villa, uh, Giovanni Dos Santos. Um, I mean, those guys right there combined for what easily close to a hundred goals. So, uh, with the, with that type of goal scoring production, I really don't think that we're going to be seeing many clean sheets. Uh, and with that defensive bonus points, well, that really creates the problem because then, how do you pick defenders other than just? picking the cheapest ones and kind of hoping on clean sheets. I mean, really it comes, comes down to what it, what it was this year is who's cheap and who's on a team that's generally defensive. You, you couldn't really distinguish yourself by finding players with bonus points. Um, even, even like with Harrison though, I mean, he was playing out of position the entire year playing up on the, you know, on the wing. So if you find players like that, that are playing out of position uh, that are defensive players, but are scoring goals, creating assists. You know, you just got to find ways to <clears throat> take advantage of uh, the system. Right. So basically, but ba- the problem is as far as like setting up a defender, if the only way to get a good defender is to find someone who's mislabeled as a defender, I, I don't think that's the way the system should work. So I, I hope they kind of undo the end of the CBIs just so we can have more bonus points. Because I think that floor um, is a way for good fantasy players to kind of distinguish themselves by doing the research and finding the players who do have the consistent bonus points, um, you know, to get more consistent scores out of that position. Yeah, we have a question about uh, defenders after our our break in in the coming segment. So we'll talk more about how to improve that. But I think you guys are bringing up some good points about them. I, I also agree that uh, I, I kind of bummed about the CBI breakup uh, more than I than I thought it was going to be. So maybe that can be tweaked. Still not a big fan of the foul suffered stat, and I talked a bit about that at the beginning of the season. Maybe we'll talk about it in our in our segment with him coming up. But uh, I just don't think that foul suffered plays much of an impact at all. I think especially how we saw some of the crazy refs this year, that that had more to do with the ref that you had than actually any skill that a player did or demonstrated to be able to be fouled or pretend to be fouled. And I haven't gotten a chance to break down how many points people actually earned from fouls, but I don't think it's going to be a lot. And that is something just like second assists that I think is stupid and does not need to be in the game. Otherwise, I love pass completions and love total shots. Yeah, second assist is the... 
biggest useless stat ever. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it. Uh, okay, so one of the, the third big change I want to talk about is uh, just the special promotions that were run this year. We had the weekly prize winners for the top scoring player, and then we also had the red line challenge that jumped up in the middle, and we're in the the midst of the uh, MLS Cup playoff pick'em challenge sort of that's going on right now. So uh, some interesting new ways for people to get get prizes, some new promotions. Did, did you like that, Blaine, as this being one of your first seasons? Yeah, that was a fantastic addition this year. Um, one of the problems I've had coming in, because as like I said, fourth my fourth season playing, but last year was the first year I really got involved, and that was playing a head-to-head league. And I was invested there with some friends, so I had I had an investment there. With the way the top of the table goes, if you fall out of that too early, you've got 20 to 30 weeks of almost nothing. So this brought the general player back in and gave them something to look forward to. One thing that I don't think I suggested during the year, but with the weekly prizes, they actually didn't count your minus fours against you. So you could do unlimited transfers, take as many minus fours as you wanted to, stack your lineup and go for the weekly prize, which I think was a $25 gift card, which I know that kept some people involved because they just had something to play for. And just, so yeah, nothing but positive comments on this because it just, it's a good way to keep people involved. And I really hope they expand this next year. I think too, with these, uh, with, with promotions, um, if they did some sort of a, uh, which I know we're going to touch on a little bit better, um, like head-to-head leagues or even like overall leagues and, and actually have a legitimate prizes, whether they be, you know, cash, um, you know, uh, MLS live subscription, a signed jersey from the team, something like that. I think that, you know, uh, especially in the, especially in, the, you know, the competitive league. So like for me, like the RSL league um, or, or, you know, the, the, the team leagues, <clears throat> the winner of that gets, you know, whatever, a signed jersey, signed scarf, something like that. I think that, you know, doing something like that in the beginning of the season. So you have kind of your long-term goal. Your eyes are set on something from the start of the season to the end of the season that you're working towards uh, would benefit the game tremendously. Yeah, winning things is always fun. Uh, there's actually one more change I want to talk about. I forgot to put it on my list, but I, I think I would get all kinds of hate mail if I did not mention this, and we'll let you talk about this one, Mike. But uh, one of the biggest changes was how – players price change throughout the season it was no longer on that auction type system it was based on their performance so mike how how do you think that played out for you overall well i took a look at the price rises and um i mean giovinka was the biggest price riser at um 2.6 after that there was a bit of a drop off david via and sasha collection had 2.1 um but then if you look at the top 10, it's 1.9 Piotti, 1.8 Diaz, 1.6 Valeri, 1.5 Kaká, 1.3 Zimmerman, 1.3 BWP, and then 1.1 Mira. So over the top 10 price rises overall, you're already at only 1.1 price rise total. Um, I like it, the fact that it's not an auction, but to me, that's not responsive enough. I know we're going to get into the question about Giovinco's price and all of that, but looking at that, I don't think it's responsive enough to uh, to change with the way that players perform during the season. And as a result, the initial price evaluations are way too important. Um, 
I would like to see that problem addressed next year. I don't know if maybe that means a higher price increase, maybe more of a chance of decrease. I mean, I, I remember, I think for most of the first half, uh, Benny Failhaber was pretty much a non-option because he was priced way too high. Um, and th- the same can be said for a number of defenders, um, you know, who scored really well, including Zimmerman, but who weren't able to be brought in because of the prices. So I, I think that prices have to become more flexible even if they don't go back to the auction system, because right now the initial determination is just way too determinative of how the game is going to go from there. Well said, well said. I, uh, I don't disagree with what you said. I still enjoyed, I, I like this method better than what they use with, with EPL. I just think it makes more sense for the whole vibe of what MLS fantasy tries to, to accomplish of players being rewarded for what they do. And that's how the bonus points work. And, and I think this price change system reflects that as well. But in that same line of thought, I don't disagree that there could be some tweaks uh, for overall player value. And we will get into that coming up. Uh, anybody else have any final thoughts for about just any of the changes that happened in this 2016 season? Yeah, I'll throw in on the price rise really quick. Um, the top 30 list ranges up from Giovinco at 2.6 down to a 0.7 rise. But there are only four defenders in that. And I think I, I really do like this new system and I think it works great, but defenders really struggle to get those price increases one or two goals against them. And they're almost excluded from a big price rise. They don't have a way to consistently get up there. And as Jason was saying, it's very, we're a very attacking league right now. That's not going to bode well for defenders getting a value increase. So I really, I really do like the system, but I don't think it's balanced at all, and it needs some major tweaks if they want to keep going. If MLS Fantasy wants to keep going with this system, but it's still much better than the auction system. Yeah. With, with that being said, too, the I mean, I mean, I remember we we've discussed this in length at the beginning of the season, how. I'm glad we have this system. Um, yeah, there there are going to need there is going to need to be some tweaks. Uh, granted, this is the first uh, season that this has been in place, but this is a hell of a lot better than having to wake up at three fifty seven in the morning to go <laughs> to, to, to to go check Green Line Army's uh, valuation on Reddit to see who's risen, who's going to rise, who's going to fall, and make my transfers. Because I'll tell you, I hated doing that. Every single was it uh, was it every Friday night or every I forget what day it was, but it was pretty it was, bad. Yeah, it was like Sunday night or something. Or yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, a lot of a lot of our uh, cohorts uh, across the pond in the UK and in Europe, they actually enjoy our price our, our pricing system and our bonus um, point and our BP generation uh, system better than the FPL. So I know that they're talking to uh, a lot of the, the makers of the FPL to, to look into our system. So, hey, America's doing something, right? <laughs> well, it's not winning the MLS FI head-to-head league. That is something we're going to have to work on. <laughs> Reed, I want okay. to comment on the prizes real quick. Um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I talked to my sister who did the red line challenge. Um, yeah. We got 159 people to sign up for that. Um and I, it's hard for us to say because I don't know if the weekly winners got a whole lot of response as far as keeping people active. Um, you know, that's something obviously MLS has numbers on and we don't. Um, my experience in kind of communicating is, you know, doing the writing. I didn't see a whole lot of response for it. I'm glad to see that Blaine did. But 
if if they're not getting people more active, if that didn't change anything, I would distribute that money elsewhere. I, I think it could be used as far as spreading out the prize pool for overall or for head to head or something, which we'll talk about. Sure. That. I just sure, wanted yeah. to talk about um, for the one fifty nine people because I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, guys, for sharing all those thoughts. I hope everyone listening uh, found that to be informative. Uh, we're going to have a quick break right now. When we come back, we're going to have uh, Ben Bear and Guy Sanchez and chat about some of their reactions to the 2016 season. And then we're going to get into our 2017 suggestions. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the show so far. I wanted to make a few quick announcements in between our sections while the guys are getting a drink or going to the bathroom or getting a hot dog or whatever it is Jason does when he's not here. So there are a few surveys I want you to check out to help just give your feedback to how to make the projects that I'm involved with even better. There's a survey for the MLS Fantasy Insider. This podcast, you can find that over at MLSFantasyBoss.com, and it'll be sent out on Twitter. Just respond back, let us know what you like, and we'll try to make this show more of what you want. Uh, there's also a survey for MLS Fantasy Boss at MLSFantasyBoss.com, trying to figure out what it is that you like about the website, what you want us to do more of, different types of articles or the tools you want to have implemented. And then finally, there's a survey over at r slash fantasy MLS over at Reddit. And that's just so we can know what you as a community want to do together. What can we do to help promote a unity for all the players of this game. So take those surveys, let me know how we can serve you better. And that's really gonna help me a lot. And I hope it gives some just good feelings to you for participating. Uh, and, and two more final announcements. Over at r slash fantasy MLS, Older Goaler has put up uh, the final end of season MVP vote. So you can vote through Monday on that. So go in there and vote for who you think is not the MVP overall, but the MVP fantasy player. So. Go in there and vote. Show your love for one player at each position. And then finally, shameless plug, uh, over at r slash fantasy MLS, you have a couple of projects associated with this podcast that are up for fantasy MLS blog slash site of the year. MLS Fantasy Boss, the at MLS Injury News, and MLS Fantasy Insider are all in the running for blog and site of the year. So if you want us to win and not one of those guys over there in Europe like Fantasy Football First or Fantasy Football 24-7, go there and vote for us. Thank you so much. Now enjoy the rest of the show. Hey everyone, this is probably the segment of the show that you've been most excited about. I'm pleased to welcome MLS's own Ben Bear back to the show to talk to us a little bit about his thoughts on the 2016 fantasy season. How are you doing, Ben? Doing good, guys. Great. Thanks a lot. Uh, so we'll just get right into it. Uh, there were several changes to the 2016 fantasy game this season. Team sizes shrank. CBIs were split into separate stats. And uh, my favorite, total shots became a point genetic category all its own. So j just to name a few of them. How satisfied were you with how these changes played out? And did they help meet the goals you had set for the fantasy game this season? Uh, I mean, we start off the season and we released these. And I think um, for the most part, people uh, were very positive about it. And I think that stayed the case throughout most of the season, even you know at the end of the season. And I think that fits what I thought about the changes. I thought they were, you know, I thought they definitely helped the game. Uh, there are still some tweaks that I would like to look into before next season. And, you know, if anybody has any ideas, you're more than welcome to hit me up on Twitter or on the at MLS Fantasy account. Uh, I may catch it. But I think generally, I think it did, it, it accomplished its job is what I would say. 
So we all want. Well, speaking of, of suggestions, I, I know that there are already a few fantasy managers over at Reddit who are suggesting changes for 2017. Uh, of course, you know, ideas like higher player prices or, or more points for defenders or rosters locking at, at different times are always popular yeah. and seem to come up every year. Um, and, and we know that right now nothing is set in stone, but are you able to give us any hints at some of just your personal ideas for potential changes? I mean, I, I think a lot of those ideas that I've seen so far are good. Obviously, we're not even in, I wouldn't even say that we're in the planning stages yet, to be honest. We, we have had maybe larger discussions, I would say, more than rather than, you know, point discussions. I think, you know, the Javinko thing, I, people were pretty upset at the beginning of the year. I can understand why it's something that I'm definitely going to consider bumping him up a little bit more because he's such a valuable player. And maybe if he was of higher value, he would maybe it would it would, it would better the game because not everyone would have him. Um, I mean, I, everything else is, you know, I, I, it's definitely stuff I'm going to look into. And, you know, I, I don't just make these decisions rashly. You know, I have to make sure I do my research and make sure that what I do actually will help help the game in some way. And so I guess growth is always the, the ultimate goal. And we know that growth has been very important just just when people talk about Major League Soccer in general. And, and we've seen a lot of strong attendance numbers with, with games and with the TV season this year. Um, and, of course, all the expansion plans that, that are always being talked about. So what role do you think that fantasy plays in, in helping it grow MLS? And, and what suggestions would you make to fantasy players to help grow the fantasy game? As I've said before, I think even on this podcast, I think fantasy, you know, is maybe the one of the main reasons that the NFL is as big as it is, and you know that in betting. Uh, and I think any league that wants to increase its growth and its reach should be promoting fantasy largely. Um, for for fans, you know, it's it's not you know it's not really your job to to get this done. I would say just say if you're if you're a fan, if you listen to this podcast and you know people who watch MLS, who like MLS, who maybe play fantasy for one week, I would just and you know give up. You know, keep on encouraging them. Keep on, you know, start a league. Make sure you everyone you know that watches MLS is in a league that with friends and they can argue about everything and all that kind of stuff. And uh, that's what I would suggest. I would I would be just at at a, a disadvantage if I didn't ask you how did you do on your personal fantasy team? Uh, I think I did pretty good this year. I, I, I a lot better than last year. I actually finished 153rd overall, I believe. Nice. I think that's the highest I've ever finished, and you know, I think it's I think it's four or five years that I've played. Uh, I actually so in you know in the office league. I had a bitter disappointment as I was the number one seed and I lost the number 16 seed because I oh. mistakenly, mistakenly, I you know set up my whole team for that for that October 8th, you know the the week around with with four games and I set up my whole team for that and I it, made, it was too weak for the week for the round before and I ended up losing. Oh, but the same I, thing happened to me. Yeah, yeah. but I well I, I think I what, I've made it to the final and in, uh and in, in the in the, in the Fantasy Insider Host League. You did, yeah. And and you know, so I've had so I had some other some other good results, but uh, didn't come away didn't come away with the ultimate championship. Oh, that's rough. Yeah, we uh, you were the 
the standout for the fantasy insider league yeah, because was, we we had a couple of those European guys that came in and were just mopping us up this this season. Yeah. So we we all had, especially me and Travis, we we were doing pretty pitiful at the oh, beginning. But so we, we had some late season rallies, but not enough at the beginning. So you were you were really doing us proud in that one. You're welcome. You're welcome here. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll have to try. We'll have to try harder to uh, to get that mm-hmm. improved next season. Though I I think the head to head is is where some of the most fun and growth could be had in in the game. Um, are you are you able to see? Oh, are you able to see any? Um, just a second. Sorry about that, Mike. How's it going? Sorry to break in here. Yo, can you mute yourself? Can I mute myself? Yeah, we're all muted except for uh, Reed and Ben. Okay, there we go. I was gonna say, are you able to see uh, any any growth in the head-to-head versus the classic leagues, or is that data just not available? Uh, that data is available. It's not something that I have access to, you know, on a day-to-day basis. It's not something that I uh, that's really I dig into personally. Uh, I think in general, I think head-to-head is where we do need to grow. And because classic leagues, as soon as you know people see that they're way out of it, they're gonna they're gonna get discouraged and stop playing. So I think the head-to-head leagues is, is really where we need to grow and really need to push. Okay, and one final question. So, who would be your picks for most valuable fantasy players at each position? It's a tough question. Uh, yeah, I mean. I th- Axel Schuberg is probably my defender. Mm-hmm. I think I I put his price way too low. <laughs> and we appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, I mean, but then again, everyone had him at the end, so it wasn't. <laughs> so is he is he really the most valuable? You know, it's 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 almost like a the the, the problems we have with the actual award this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, midfielders. I, I think Ozzy Alonso. He ah. did the, the 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 point changes really helped him out a lot. Yeah, and I think he kind of flew under the radar most of the year. But he ends, I think he was what he's like seven or eight, the, the seventh most points among midfielders, which is not something you expect from a from a D mid. Yeah. Um, and then forward, it's tough. I mean, it's got to be Javinko. It's just like the MVP. <laughs> just like the MVP is. I mean, it's always Javinko, isn't it? I, you know, I have to agree with that. Uh, yeah, the Alonzo was great. I, I don't think he finished as as high up in the stats, but uh, I believe it was a zero over at Colum- at uh, Colorado. Oh yeah, zero was. Yeah. I had him on my team for most of the year. Oh yeah, he was just uh, a. B- I think he was in the top fifty at least of points, but he was just a, a model of consistency with with some of those changes. So that was it was great to see the defensive players in the, in the midfield at least getting some more love. Yeah. Oh well, actually, I'm looking at it right now. Alonzo finished fourth, fourth most points. Among midfielders, which is you know something we haven't seen before. Right? Yeah, guy. probably had, and he was uh, under ten million, I think, at, at the end yeah. of of the year. So a bargain, to be sure. Exactly. Nine point two. Well, great. Yeah, I hope that we have some more stats. So I know we'll have some more stats coming out as we get closer to 2017 to really break these things down. So we appreciate everything that you've uh, helped us with this season, with this show, and we're looking forward to hearing what comes up next year. So thanks so much for being with us tonight. Thank you for having me. All right, take it easy. Have a good night, guys. Okay, and and now for the second half of this special segment that we have, it's I'm pleased to welcome 
the the return of Mr. Guy Sanchez to MLS Fantasy Insider. How are you doing, Guy? Good, good. Those are not my children. So no, for once they're no not. Hear, uh, you will no longer hear my kids in the back. That's Mike's job now. <laughs> yes, tonight we're also joined by Simon, Mike, and Mike's kids. <laughs> what up, Sam? It's uh, okay. So, I can swear at my kids. You can swear at your kids. I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna judge you. <laughs> so basically, what I wanted to do tonight is we we just got finished talking with Ben about some of his reactions to the season, and I really appreciate his time. But of course, guy, you've been with us for about two years now with or at least two seasons and you you took a little step back from the show earlier this season and i wanted to give you a chance to one just talk to everybody about what's going on with you and then two to let you talk to us about some of your thoughts about this season with fantasy and the rest of us can join in okay yeah that's that's fair um yes what is going on with me uh okay i started a long time ago blogging about all soccer and it seemed like there was a little bit of a niche market for some fantasy MLS stuff. And that's how I found this show and uh, kind of got on board with that. But um, MLS is a tough grind. And it's really tough to write about on a weekly basis. Um, even harder to watch on a weekly basis sometimes when you watch it in volume. I mean, I was probably watching, I don't know between seven and 10 games a week, you know, just all day on Saturday, Sunday, all the midweek games. Um, and I, I just kind of burned out and, uh, there's just some deficiencies that aren't to my taste and it's nothing personal. It's not like, um, you know, bashing anybody who still, you know, actively loves the MLS. I just, I lean more toward, um, the premier league and I lean pretty heavily toward Liga MX and, uh, yeah, I just, I, uh, for my own mental sanity <clears throat> and kind of for my marriage, <laughs> I had to just stop watching so much MLS. <laughs> and it's, it was a lonely grind there for a couple of years, you know, really trying to be a resident expert. And, uh, yeah, I just stepped back and, um, it would be disingenuous for me to say that I, I should continue to be on the podcast and, knowingly step away from watching so many live games and from doing too much intense study for this next season. So uh, Mike's now on board and he's a great resource and he took on the injury news. Um, it, it's it's still in good shape. I just won't be ranting on here quite as often. I, I think I'll probably stop in for a cameo or two to rant about some. Oh yeah. Yeah. We'll bring you back. Some when something oh yeah. But uh, yeah, I just I can't I can't uh, physically, mentally, do another full season of MLS at the rate that I was this year. Though I had to say I'm a I'm a little annoyed that we can't have the tagline being MLS Fantasy Insider. Uh, hundreds of players helped one marriage destroyed. I mean that yeah, would have been yeah. I mean, but we've had some good taglines because oh, MLS yeah. started right here. <laughs> it did. Uh, that is true. Yeah, that was that was all us. So. Um, yeah, you know, the MLS, it seems like, um, you know, it's, it's a very American style league. Um, you know, there's a whole pro rail conversation that goes on and Hey, if it's not possible for this league, I understand. I prefer to watch leagues that have a little bit more skin in the game as far as what teams are involved. Um, but I will say it looks like the MLS is really good at promotion. 
they just don't like the relegation part because I think before this is all over, we're going to have like 30 <laughs> or 40 teams in this league and there'll be like 20 people in every, uh, every stand. So we'll set that separate podcast for each, each, the East and the West, each conference. You're, you're almost going to have to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I saw well, um, Garber is hanging out with Taylor Twelman at FC Cincinnati this week. So I think there's going to be a whole lot of promotion coming soon to some. Hey, I'm, I'm all about that. I'm all about that. That would give me I, a, I know a you couple were hours. That's why I wanted to bring it up. I'm, I'm wearing some orange right now. I am wearing oh, some orange right now. Well, you know, guy, you were with us for so long, and, and I do like your rants, and I do think you still have valuable insights. So I think our listeners, maybe all but at least one, would appreciate your thoughts on the state of the fantasy game and how you saw the changes play out this season um i think this was i mean i listened to ben's interview and uh there are some positives i mean it but it's not i don't believe it's in a very healthy state right now i think that the league um naturally devoted a lot of its kind of time and resources to letting DraftKings take over on a lot of that stuff um which is fine i mean DraftKings covers Liga MX, it covers EPL, it covers every sport you could probably imagine. Um, the difference being is those other leagues still invest time and money into their regular fantasy game. And I just, to see it kind of hover around 30,000 at the start of every year with no real growth, and then the dead teams start coming in around, you know, between week five and week 10. Um, you know, it's to say that the, the prize pool couldn't be drastically improved to really bolster it is is an understatement. I mean, it's just, there's so much they could do with it. Um, I don't know that I like the, I, I still think the format is somewhat broken with having all of those bench spots that we all just rushed to find the cheapest dummy player to fill. And MLS is really going to continue to buck the trend and continue to play games throughout international breaks, then they're going to have to adjust the schedule on that because writing and studying for those bye weeks and double game weeks, it was just, it was just a mess. I mean, it, 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 you really had to be invested in your final score to pay attention that hard. And it's, it's not built for a casual fan. I mean, that's, if you're a casual fan, you're going to go to DraftKings because it really is a one day league. You don't care about, the bye week, you don't care about double game weeks. All you care about is who's playing on this date. It's it's kind of like an advanced course in fantasy play, which is fun at the beginning, but by week 30, you're just like, you're over it. You don't want to have to plan for that many contingencies. And even if you're playing well, you know, the rotations come in and your team is shot. You know, it's it's it, – I don't know. I, I think it needs to go a little bit more like the EPL system. And, you know, you need to have a vice captain in there, not switcheroos, but you need to have a backup plan for these rotation issues because it's just, it's too much. Sure. Uh, Simon, Mike, any, any reactions to that? Well, I th certainly think Guy is absolutely spot on with bye weeks. Oh my God. It's like, it's like the the ultimate MLS we got Robo Mike. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know a better way to say that. Uh, not surprising. Um, 
Yeah, I think Brian's absolutely right about the amount of time you have to put in to get around those international breaks. I mean, figuring out the rotations, especially when they're midweek games during international breaks, like we saw uh, just recently with the Houston and Colorado double game week, to try to figure out who's going to play, who's going to get rotated, who's on international break, especially when you have to do that five weeks out in order to make a plan to me, you're not going to keep casual players in the game doing that. Um, and I don't think head-to-head -head fixes that. So, you know, I, I think there has to be some adjustments in the way MLS puts out its schedule as far as when you get transfers, when your unlimited transfer weeks are. And I'm sure we'll go into that um, more in the roundtable section. But... Yeah, the way it is right now, the harshness of the schedule and the harshness of bye weeks, it's not friendly to casual players. And that is reflected in the amount of players in the game. Is it is it really, though, that it's just not friendly to casual players? Because I don't particularly find Fantasy EPL friendly to a casual player. I mean, they they have uh, an even stricter cutoff for when a game's going to happen. If if you're not in that time zone, it's even it's even worse. And and they have just a long season as well. They, they don't have the bye weeks, but I don't know if bye weeks are hurting that much of a casual fan. It, it's this long term interest. And so is it is it? And they don't have all the prizes that MLS has had in the past. Is is it really that, or is it just? a certain number of fans equals a certain number of passionate fantasy players. I mean, well, I mean that, that yeah, go ahead, Simon. No, you go for it guy. This is the guy segment. <laughs> no, but I think that, yeah, there is something to navigate in the EPL league, but you know, you can still set your lineup on a Wednesday when you have time and you set your captain, your vice captain, and then nobody else can make any changes once it locks either. You know, so it, it does remain fair and constant. The auto subs come in, no manual subs to worry about. You have two captain choices. I mean, it does simplify it in that sense. And yeah, and there's just no, I mean, yeah, they do occasionally get a bye week with, you know, cup play and stuff, but nothing like what we have. And, and fundamentally, I think that it's not the fantasy game's fault that the MLS's schedule is so incredibly convoluted. I mean, you know, Toronto starting out with like nine, 10 games on the road, teams sure. getting bye weeks right off the bat insisting that they play at least five teams, six teams on an international break. You know, it's they bring a lot of it on themselves. And it's it, it it's boggling to think that, you know, the most important games that they play all year, supposedly the playoff and the play-in games, they put those right up against NFL football. So whatever the hell that's about. Um, you know, we say we can't get any kind of, you know, winter play. It has to be a spring summer season, but the most important game of the year, the championship is played in December. So it's like they talk out of one side of their mouth and then the other side of their mouth. It's like, it's not that, I mean, it's, it really isn't that hard to ahead and have every team play on the weekend so that it remains fair and constant. I don't, I don't understand why they do it so different than everybody else does but they do they just they have to be different and i i mean from my own personal testament i used to have a very competitive work league i used to have friends that used to play with us they've all dropped out it's just too much it's too much when the round locks one week on a tuesday night or a wednesday night and the next week it locks on a you know saturday morning 
there's no consistency. And if you're really not paying attention, if you're really not planning ahead, that's the part of the casual uh, experience that really is killed is there is no consistency when that round locks. If you didn't make your transfers, didn't set your lineup, you're done. And with games starting every so often on every different day, it's a lot. I mean, it really is. And even, even me, when I do pay attention, I mean, then you pick the wrong player and <laughs> it was all for naught. You know, it's not like it's still a fantasy game. So it's not like putting that time and effort into seeing everything coming in advance is any guarantee for success. So not only did you exclude the casual fans, but the people that did put hours of study into it. Yeah, you made the wrong call. All right, you fell 300 places this weekend anyway. So it really is hard to keep people motivated for the entire 34 rounds of the season. I think if anything is said, I mean, there are definitely lots of improvements and there are some of those flaws. And I agree with, with a lot of that stuff. And um, I think we do have to give credit to people like Ben and, and, and those who work with the fantasy game, because in, in a lot of ways, it's just trying to work with what it has. And so it's, it's trying to get enough rounds to be able to have the points and work with these, like you said, these bye weeks and the schedules that it, it has no control over. So I think there's definitely room for growth, but but that we should give some credit for for them working so well with with the hand they've been dealt. No, and I, I agree. I mean, the, the fantasy game has to be based on the actual game, and it's not their fault. I mean, so, yeah, some, some things have to come from the, you know, the league top down, so I understand that. And some weekends I'm better than others. You know, some weekends I look at myself in the mirror and I just say, hey, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say nothing at all. <laughs> and I just let it go and I put on a different sport. Like nobody makes me watch or have to partake in that. And that's, and that was kind of my revelation with the whole thing is I don't be aggravated and frustrated. And I can, I can choose to just step back and just let it be what it is. And I, I look at it now as an entertainment product and that's what it is. It's an entertainment product. You know, it's, if that's why you, how you want to spend, you know, 90 minutes to two hours a year, uh, weekend, that's fine. It's perfectly fine. I'm not, I'm not saying the league should go away or that I think everybody should take a stand and boycott it or anything. I just, I think that where I'm at right now, as far as fantasy play and studying sports, I'm kind of investing my energy elsewhere where I feel more productive of putting it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, Simon, Mike, any other reactions to our interview with Ben that you'd like to talk about before we kind of wrap some things up? Sure. I'll just put a little comment. I tend to take, I guess, read your view on things that people are doing the best that they can with limited resources, but also recognize what Guy says in that, I mean, there's only so much you have to start with, right? And so... I think that if we try and pretend like the league is super healthy from a fantasy perspective, it's super delusional because the numbers have maybe even gone down in terms of fantasy players over the last few years. Um, so to me, that's a big problem. But then you look at really encouraging things, like you look at the TV ratings and how through the roof they've gone in the last couple of years, and that's nothing but a good sign for fantasy. And so to me, it's, okay, what can the league do with that new audience Maybe they're, they should be playing a promo, playing uh, or what I guess normal people would call an advertisement, right? But in the, in the biz, we'd call it a promo uh, for fantasy during the broadcasts. 
and really try and push people to play MLS Fantasy, push people who aren't the core people visiting the MLS website to MLS Fantasy because unless you're on the MLS social pages, on the MLS website, you're probably not finding out about Fantasy. So to me, it's really about what kind of other avenues can the league pursue to get people interested. And then for them, of course, what's the financial return on people playing fantasy? Obviously, it's probably more people watching more games. Same thing the NFL the NFL and other leagues get out of fantasy. But, you know, how can you bring those casual fans in? Um, who knows? That's some ideas that I have. Okay, so if, if you got the TV ratings and people want to play, and a lot of people don't want to play DraftKings because they do feel it's it's a gambling you know thing or maybe it's not even allowable in their state. So there is people who are going to want to play a regular fantasy game just like they play their NFL game. Um, you know, you, you need to make it so that it's it still has strategy. I mean, the ultimate strategy should be, did I pick the right players? But you should never win or lose based on, did the deadline switch from this day to this day on this week? Or... Can I navigate this many bye weeks? I mean, if there's bye weeks and double game weeks, then you go ahead and throw in extra transfers for those rounds. You know, it, it should be the best players win the game, not the best navigators of the rules of the game. And that's maybe that's that's the solution because you're going to have an influx of new teams and new fans. You know, Leslie Jones was on Twitter enjoying MLS like, just her presence alone on Twitter probably makes people look at MLS for like the first time. You need to have a more accessible game that's more consistent and isn't nearly as hard to play. Yeah, um, I, I definitely agree with what Guy says. You know, I know the league, the people who do the fantasy game are dealt a really rough hand. But on the other hand, I think there are some opportunities for them to, you know, to look at the lessons that we've learned this year. And, and make the game a, a even better product for next year that's going to be more appealing uh, to fans. Um, I, I think that the way the bye weeks this week, this year, were was terrible. Um, they dictated most of the transfer strategy for the second half. Looking six weeks ahead in order to plan to get all your players into one of four teams, you know, you were going to be in trouble for that week. Um, to me, if you're going to have those international buys with only a few teams playing, that week should be unlimited transfers coming in, and it should be unlimited transfers coming out. Um, that way, that week doesn't dictate what goes on in the rest of the weeks. And I think that would help players have a more uh, enjoyable experience um, because they're not going to be doing that much looking ahead. And if you take that element out of the game, it's like, what Guy said, you're picking the best players and who's looking at matchups and those kinds of things, which I think is going to be a lot more fun and a lot more appealing. Um, and like what Simon said, I, I hope the league does a little bit better effort as far as promotion. I mean, there were times where I was like you know, on a transfer deadline, wait, did Reed write an article this week? And that's crazy because I follow all the fantasy accounts. I follow all of this and I had to go look on MLS soccer and, oh, yep, there, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's an article. Um, so it's not promoted nearly enough to me. And I think that if it was promoted like, on a more local level by the teams, yeah. you would get more yeah. people attracted. Like 
are they going to these supporters groups that they have, you know, supporter liaisons with and saying, hey, why don't y'all set up a league? Here, we'll throw you a $25 gift card, you know, for you to offer as a prize, you know, kind of doing a little thing like that, that maybe more, maybe more, a lot more fruitful than having a weekly prize um, was this year. You know, th there are a lot of different ways you can do it without spending a whole lot more money. Money, money. A whole lot more money. Uh, well, great. Well, no, I, I really appreciate you being here, Guy, and the conversations that we had for this segment of the show. And, of course, Ben Bear for, for coming by to talk with us. Hope to have you back on the show some a few times uh, next season, Guy. That, I think that that's only, only, only nice to have you come back every now and then. Um, everybody who's listening, please uh, hang on. We have one more segment of the show just, just wrapping everything up. But thank you so much for listening to everything that we've already covered for this 2016 wrap-up. Okay, now it's time for the 2017 suggestions part of our show. I, I hope you like having a little throwback to, to Mr. Guy Sanchez right there. Uh, we hope to see him a few times next season and that you enjoyed hearing some of Ben Bear's thoughts about the, the state of the game. And, uh, you know, he can't say a whole lot because it's, they're still just looking through everything, but we really appreciate him coming on and being able to chat with us for however long he's able to uh, every time that he is. So, uh, again, thanks a lot, Ben, and I hope everyone appreciates uh, the the chance that they provide us to have some feedback with them. But now we're going to go to Reddit, as we've done all year, to get questions, and, and we're going to give you some answers on our thoughts for suggestions for 2017. And uh, one of the big questions that we got, Blaine actually phrased really well, and I'm just going to read this there. It's, it's about player variance, which seemed a lot lower with just 16 roster spots uh, and a little bit of extra cash. So people want to know, is there too much money in this game? Blaine, kick it off. Yeah, I brought this up because I really do think there was too much money in the game. And it really killed your player variance, especially late in the season when the top thousand players were looking at 130 million 128 million on a lot of that when you can afford six or seven premium players in the attack your toss-up is do i grab fellhaber do i grab diaz do i grab valeri who depends on the matchup really which one's the best but when you're just picking between do i add one of those guys to piatti and question and two of the others i mean when you start considering that it gets really it gets really interesting and it just seemed like the choices were very limited there was no digging deeper into the player pool and i know jason and i had this a couple times on twitter he'd post his lineup a little bit faster than i would and then i'd go scramble and make some changes because we had 10 of the same players in the starting 11 and almost the exact same bench and that's crazy that we're all that we were seeing rosters that were sharing six and seven players every week and i was seeing it in my head to head league that i played as well where we just had i've run in six or seven of the guy, same players my opponent had so you're looking at differential players to really make up the difference but if we're going to play a differential game lower the budget and play with four players on the field one at each position and pick who's going to do the best so i really did a the money situation was also part of it. Just It's too much on the price rises. I don't think it was balanced for the starting prices. Like I said before, the new price system is really nice, but I think it's just flawed in a way that really is game-breaking. Anybody disagree? No, 
I, I agree because I just wanted to follow up on what he said. I think with MLS especially, with the way we have double game weeks and then all these bye weeks, you're going to have some natural funneling into certain teams in order to take advantage of those weeks or avoid the buys. So when you have that kind of natural limiting anyway, um, if you if the price if you have so much money to spend, you're going to have exactly what Blaine described, which is players having t- eight, eight, nine, ten of the same guys because you're all looking at who has the double game week. Okay, Los Angeles. Well, then I definitely want to get those Santos. Can I afford them? Absolutely. You know, and you don't have as many tough decisions you do as you do when you have either less money. So I don't know if the solution is de- decreasing the bud- budget or increasing player price points to take up a larger percentage of the budget. But um, I, I would like to see it adjusted because to me, when it's like this, even though you have the premium players on your team, you don't really have them on your team because everyone has them. So you're not really rooting for them because it doesn't matter. Everyone has Ladero. So what Ladero does doesn't really matter. It's just what my score is overall. It's just kind of more vanity points. It all comes down to who your differentials are. And, you know, it's almost kind of who you can afford in that last spot. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's what they were really going for. Well, let's just follow up with that and mention the elephant in the room, the elephant named Javinko. Uh, was he too cheap? Should players be more expensive to start out with? Well, I mean, Giovinco was two um, points per 90, I think, higher than anyone else because he was nine points per 90 minutes uh, or something like that. And, you know, David Villa was at seven. Um, yeah, Giovinco was 9.5 per 90, um, and David Villa was 7.6. So, um, t- to me, I don't know if Giovinco is as much of a problem because regardless of what the price is, like he's going to be on your team at that much of a difference than everyone else. You know, whether you put him at 15 or, or whatnot. Um, but, I mean, I think he probably should have been more expensive. Uh, I mean, if he's going to be that much better, it needs to be reflected in at least, uh, you know, being two million more than everyone else to start off. And see, I think this goes back to the, you know, to like to the FPL model where it's 15 players at a hundred million dollar budget, but your highest premium defender is 6.5 million and your average defender is around the $5 million range. Um, you know, your highest midfielder, I believe is, I want to say he's 12 million or 12.5. And the same goes with your forwards. Um, I mean, with the players like BWP, David Villa, and Jivinko, I think that they need to start the season off at, you know, $13 million, especially with a $20 million budget or even higher, or $120 million budget, maybe even 14 or $15 million for those three players, and then trickle it downward. But then you got to remember, too, those are the players that have increased the most over the year. So, you know, come end of season, they may be – you know, 1.5 to 2 million more. So if you don't get them in the first couple of games, you're not going to be able to afford them at all. Wasn't uh, Aguero at 15 this year? I can't. No, I can't he, he was, at, I believe it was 12 or 12.5. Oh, okay. I thought he was higher. It could have been, I mean, it could have been 13, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure. I know it's somewhere in the 12 to 13 range. But it's 12 to 13 on a scale of a $100 million budget, which makes a difference. So, I mean, you could keep Giovinco at $12 million if you had, you know, a $100 million budget because it compresses prices elsewhere. Uh, I think it's also true in MLS 
because we have secondary assists and because we have the bonus points, I think the offensive players are so much more valuable than they are in the FPL game. So really, you're really definitely going to have skip the premium defenders in order to load up on the uh, on the offensive players. So if you sure. don't make more of an uh, adjustment on the prices for offensive players like Giovinco, you're going to have what we had this year. But see, this is the thing though, like we each player gets attacking BPs or defensive BPs based on the stats that they have that game. Uh, in FPL, they get awarded after the game due to certain stat criteria. So I think you're getting a lot more BPs, uh, you know, defensively and offensively in uh, fantasy MLS. And, and it seems to me that no, no doubt. And, yeah, and, it's, and it seems to me like scores are exponentially higher in fantasy major league soccer than they are in FPL um, due to the new bonus point system, which I personally like. There's there are a lot of stats that are associated with it, but uh, I you know I love it. I I, I do just wish that uh, like you guys have been mentioning that the price may you know like your starting budget goes down a little bit and then they tweak the uh forwards midfield defenders and keepers prices uh, accordingly sure and like i mentioned in in the last segment a couple ago it, it really comes down to if you're agreeing with the philosophy that fantasy mls is taking and the philosophy that they took for this past season was they they wanted new players and casual players to be able to make teams with the players they know, with the players they like, with the big name players. And by having a smaller roster and by having the larger cash pool and by having some players that you can easily get me to go along with you all that, that they're not high enough. It, it let a casual person come in here and make a team that was loaded with the names that they were familiar with. So if you're trying to increase maybe some popularity with just it being a familiar game and not like, I don't, I don't know who any of these people are, what, who, who is this? Then, then I, I think this makes sense and that it's, it accomplishes what its goal is. Now, for the people who have been here for longer, I can see how this is frustrating and I understand it. I don't know if there's a happy compromise in the middle, but uh, as time goes on, I would hope it would start to shift maybe in a different direction. Yeah, Reed, I'm a bit of a math guy, and I've played a lot of games. Just, I'm a board gamer too, and this game is really, or the fantasy game is really subject to what we like to call min-maxing. You trade out two scrubs, three scrubs for Giovinco. That's a no-brainer. True, true. true. And just the bottom prices are just so low. You don't have to give up a whole lot to grab a Giovinco. Raising raising the price would be really handy, or lowering the floor on player prices would also really benefit this. I just did the I did a quick crunch on the numbers because Giovinco started off at twelve million this season. Subtract goalkeepers, and you could spend about seven point eight million per player if you distributed the money evenly on field players. Now we all go a little bit cheaper on defense, throw a little bit more money forward. You're looking at just over eight million per player in the attacking seven. That's only 4 million lower than Javinko, and that's supposed to be your average player. Like, that's just that's too close for me. It makes it way too easy. Oh, I just dropped one of those that I've got 8 million to a 4 million, and there's Giovinco right there. I only have to sacrifice one player for the best player in the league. It just It's too easy to do that. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, definitely. Min-maxing is a big part of it because, I mean, who really uses charisma anyway? 
<laughs> so our, our next question is, is how can the point earning ability of defenders be improved? Uh, one of the suggestions was maybe even increasing the value of clean sheets. Very popular topic already, even during our show. So uh, Jason, what do you think about this? Yeah, I think that that's actually a great uh, idea, increasing the clean sheet value. Um, but also, like uh, we've mentioned before, with this being such an attacking league, it's going to be difficult to find your ROI, especially uh, if you're investing you know, into the $8 million range. Um, I, I believe Moro finished the year at a little bit above $8 million and scored five goals. So possibly looking at getting you know some of the wingbacks – uh, that play, or even the out of position players, uh, you know, Marlon Harrison. I, I think he started it. Was it was it five mil, and his rate of return was fantastic for when he played. But um, I think for this, uh, the point earning ability of defenders, uh, increasing the clean sheet value, but also I think making the pricing adjustment fair of having you know your premium defender at six point five, maybe seven million. Uh, you know, your mid-tier around 5.55 five, five, and then your low-tier at 4.5 and you're not, you know, like a Gillian uh, at 4 mil um, just to make the, the, the pricing fair because with, with the attacking uh, additions that MLS has and, you know, is potentially going to be bringing in in the next year uh, with Atlanta and all of the other uh, LA and everyone else coming into the um, to MLS – there's going to be a lot of money splashed around um, in forward spots because you know what I mean. Defenders aren't very flashy keepers unless you're a top shelf keeper. Meh. Teams invest in midfielders and attackers because that's what you know. People want to go and see Via and, and Giovinco and Ladero and Morris and everyone. You know, people don't care. Oh wow, Walker Zimmerman's going to be playing today. Yeah, I'm going to go spend thirty bucks on a ticket. It's not how it is. No one cares. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, maybe even increasing some sort of bonus points for defenders, like uh, goals scored for defenders, um, assists, uh, you know, uh, clearance blocks and interceptions or, or whatever, tackles, um, you know, maybe giving, you know, an additional point for a defender instead of a midfielder. Uh, something like that I think could, uh, could possibly be addressed and brought up uh, in the roundtable when they decide what stats are going to be addressed next year. So the only problem I have with increasing the value of clean sheets is that I feel that makes them even more boomer bust when it comes to to a keeper and encourages you to just go for the the cheap players because as we we're talking about earlier, uh, clean sheets is one of the highest correlations to to the score. So I mean, why am I going to want to spend a lot of money when I can just get the cheaper guy from that team to do that? My suggestion would be to lower the number of clearances and interceptions that are required to earn a bonus point. So go from four to two for each one of those. So it would be two clearances, two blocks, or two interceptions would give you a bonus point. I think that would, would dramatically increase the bonus point earning ability of defenders, and that could help offset uh, a, a loss of a clean sheet to help them get some points. But also, they're grossly overpriced. There's no reason that some of these defenders should have been starting as high as they did because no one's going to get them. No one's going to get them because, as you said, the, the ROI is not high enough. So defenders need a huge price shift downward. Yeah, I actually I do like that suggestion with, uh, you know, dropping the, uh, you know, the BP numbers. But the only problem with that is 
you know, if you have a, uh, like, you know, an axle that's, you know, that's generating, you know, 10 tackles, um, you know, whatever, 13 clearances per game. I mean, he's going to outscore most of your midfielders and possibly even your forwards if your forwards blank. So you're going to have to reshift everything going from keepers to defenders to midfielders and do it that way before you know it. I mean, everyone's going to be scoring, you know, 100 plus points a game. So well, I think that's I think that's the the advantage is is it brings them into the decision making process of oh man I, I know that this is going to be a good defensive game this guy could rack up some good points do I want to bring in a defender this time or am I just going to say whatever I've got Harrison even if he doesn't play I've got Campbell on the bench he'll step in there whatever they'll they they may get me a clean sheet I if if they can get some more points it makes them part of that decision of man should I bring in a defender this time? Yeah, I, I think, I think that there's, that a lot will have to be discussed um, with, you know, the, the, the BP structure of this, but a lot of great suggestions. I'm looking forward to hearing what other people have to say. Um, you know what I was thinking whenever I, I read uh, the suggestion to increase the clean sheet was maybe changing it so that instead of you know when one goal is scored against you, it's zero points, and then if it's two, it's a negative one, maybe changing it so that way clean sheet is like five points, um, allowing only one goal in is two points or one point, and then you know two is nothing, and then more than that is a negative point. You know, if the league is more offensive, then maybe we should change the structure to reflect that. That's kind of what you see in um, you know fantasy NFL. You know, you don't have to have a clean sheet, quote, unquote, uh, for your defense to score a lot of points as long as they keep scoring for the other team down to a minimum. So, you know, maybe that's a way to kind of generate some more points for defenders too if we're going to increase um, clean sheet bonuses. Well, I just ran the math for this as well, and I had to throw out Hairston for the defenders because he was just an anomaly. I mean, he's almost, he's over two full points higher on his points per 90 than the rest of the defenders in the top 25%. But you get that, and you max out at what five point seven points per ninety, and the the minimum is uh, three point five. So you, I mean, you're looking at just over two points difference between your worst top twenty five defender and your best top twenty five defender. Uh, whereas midfielders top out at eight point ten on the points per ninety, and they've got a difference of four from the lowest one. And forwards was Giovinco's at the nine point five but his difference over the next guy is about four points as well. So there's just a lot less variance on these guys, and their just their point output is so much lower that you, you've got to bring that up somehow to be, be on par because their efficiency ratings are off the chart, but they just don't get enough points to be viable. Well, do you think if their price was adjusted to be a little bit lower – uh, that would offset the ROI? Because, I mean, I, I'd, I'd rather not spend $8 million – on you know on Matt Hedges, uh, when I can spend five million bucks on Glad, who's going to probably net me you know close to the same amount, but I now I now have three million dollars that I can spend on a premium midfielder or forward. So yeah, let's take uh, let's if we look into that a little bit more. My efficiency rating had Glad as our as our best point producer. He's about 35, 40 points behind your leaders on there. But he also cost what one point uh, a full million less than the third place, two million less than second place, or yeah, two million less than first place, and three million less than second place. 
I mean, the return on him, he's a no-brainer option there. He's not going to get as many points, but you're not putting as much into it. So again, if you brought all of your premium defenders down to that level, they would have a much higher efficiency and they become viable options just for your team. And you could stack your team with them because they are a solid return for the money you put into them. Definitely. Well, I'll leave you with this. This was the really crazy idea that I had, and that was to remove clean sheets from players and do something similar to the NFL where you would just select a defensive unit to be responsible for earning you clean sheet bonuses, uh, and then the individual players would just earn bonus points. That was the -the off-the-wall idea that I came up with on Reddit. I don't think it would ever happen. Don't think it's very good, but uh, I just thought it was kind of funny to imagining everyone just picking Colorado's defensive line and rolling with it for a year. (laughs) I was actually – I was going to bring that up, actually. Well, there you go. There's there's that idea, too. I agree. If you give me the option to pick a back four, back three, whatever it happens to be, and a goalkeeper separately from two different teams, I think I could get behind it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. You never know. Uh, so our next question is uh, about the schedule. And people want to know if there is a way to fix the schedule to have fewer buy rounds or at least have the large buy rounds with only like six teams playing, not an, an issue anymore. Blaine? Yeah, this is going to sound really bad, but MLS needs to honor the FIFA international windows and you would fix a lot of this fantasy scheduling. That's not on the fantasy crew. There's nothing they can do about that. That's on MLS and MLS really needs to fix that system so we can have a better fantasy game. That aside, yeah, there's definitely ways they can fix this. Um, the six team, there's six to eight team weeks should should just be rolled into another game week. I think we saw one span two weekends this year. We saw several just straight up Wednesday night game weeks. It just something's got to give. Um, if that means bigger double game weeks gives a lot less variance and a lot less, uh, or a lot more variance and a lot less funneling, where you're not all gravitating towards a small pool of players. And maybe the season can't be the full 34 weeks. Maybe fantasy gets cut down. The only thing that really hurts is the crazy people who bet on head-to-head leagues and they want 18 teams because that's 17 that's 17 games times two which is your full 34 week schedule and they want a balanced table when they come out at the end other than that who cares about the number of weeks as long as the game's more fun maybe we could have a triple game week team (laughs) that would be fun That'd be yeah right. You should imagine the like the, the the amount of rotation that we already have. Oh, we got three games in a span of seven days. Yeah right. Y'all they remember last year for fantasy? Y'all remember fan- last year when we thought Montreal had a triple game week and everyone started yes. to vote up on Montreal and then they said no, we're gonna switch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a good call. Uh, I no, I think you're completely right, Blaine. That that this is just. The fantasy trying to make the best with what it has that that with the international breaks not being observed and with just some of the other ways that that scheduling happens with MLS with how we play east and west and, and not doing just one away one home for each team that th- this is what ends up happening for that and they're making the best with what they can do so I feel like this is a little unfair to, to put all this pressure on the fantasy teams for this or the the fantasy design for this but i mean i feel the pain i i get 
crazy with that too. Maybe maybe the answer is just give us more wild cards to help deal with those things. And if we can't fix a schedule, just at least help us navigate them better. Well, speaking of wild cards, I think I suggested this on, to the group off camera one time that for every three to four teams on by, let's just add another transfer, another free transfer for that round. Give well, players a chance idea. to do more. But and you just do it by the number of teams on by. And what we saw the minimum I think was six teams playing in a game week. So that's what, 14 buys, do that at four, that's three extra transfers. You got eight teams off, you get two extra transfers. I mean, set the number where you need to to balance it out. But, you know, when you've got to worry about half the league not playing, it would be nice to be able to swap out three or four more players or, or bank a transfer or even two and break out from that bottleneck the next week that much faster. You know, I really like that. I like that idea a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think there needs to be some sort of accommodation. I mean, we saw it with the second wild card because I think this is the first year where we had two wild cards. I think last year we just had one. Um, if if they're going to have these midweek whole, you know, the midweek matches or as whole fantasy weeks, we have to have 34 matches. I would really like it if it's not something like Blaine, just make it unlimited transfers coming into that round and unlimited transfers coming out because those those rounds had way too much impact on the way – we plan for like months, you know, cause we had to talk about, Oh, five weeks out. Oh, well, you know, eight teams are on by this week. So we have to, you can't pick up some players, you know, I, I just don't think those weeks should be so um, determinative of how strategy goes for, you know, top players. So if they can minimize it with some like Blaine system or more wild cards or something like that, I, I'm all for it. Well, we do have a player among us who was able to navigate all this stuff pretty well. Simon, any thoughts on this? Not really. I think people are whiners, to be honest. Like, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't mean to be too rude, but like, if you can't deal with it, I don't know. It's not that hard. Figure out who's on a buy and deal with it. And cry me a river if you suck at it. <laughs> you know i i think that's fair simon i, I don't uh think we'd have a an mls fantasy inside a show with without some little condescending comments from you every now and then so hey you know why I you're here keep right it real I keep it real that's it <laughs> so we keep it, yeah, keep it interesting well we'll just stick did you have a something blaine yeah simon i i can completely agree with that on the upper end of the fantasy game and that really competitive group i mean there's got to be something that separates number one from number 10 and this planning and digging in is perfect for that. But when you're talking about casual players and the drop-off rate for this game, some if, if they're going to grow the game, that can't be the system that happens. Because it's great for the top end, but I know my first year, about halfway through, I was like, oh, I'm falling behind. I have no idea what I'm doing. And I didn't play for three or four weeks. And then I came back, picked it up, and just went from there. So I I agree with you. It's a great system for that super competitive side but that's not the market i think ML or the fantasy group is going for at this time sure well, but we th have this is so i don't know like the thing you said at the beginning is honestly i think we could have just said that and answered the question i mean it doesn't really matter what the fantasy guys do mls needs to honor the international breaks if they really care about a casual fan they'll do that if not we can talk all we want but the fact is they're going to have some wacky solution for fantasy until they honor the international breaks, and there's nothing we can do about that. 
And I, I just, yeah, to me it seems like you deal with it until then or honor the international break like a real league. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, since we, st- we get you going, Simon, uh, this next question is for you. Do you think that more prizes or revised prizes would help make the game more popular? Yes, absolutely. Um, I don't like the way they do prizes now. I don't like how it's like only the top 10 people get prizes. I think it's way cooler to do what they did a couple years ago where they had MLS Live subscriptions and scarves and things for the top 200. I'd even expand that down to like the top 500, get some sort of small prize. Um, to be real, like like Blaine said, people will drop out if they think they can't get a prize. But if they think, oh, well, you know, I might get a scarf or a free MLS Live for next year. Oh, I'll keep playing. And so that's why I kept playing the first year because I was at like 500 and I was like, you know, I think I could get into the prize zone and then I did. Um, yeah, that's a good point. What if we did even things that, that maybe were a little bit on the cheaper side where it's like, oh, if you're in the like five to 400 range, then like Simon Borg is going to sign a picture and send it to you. Yeah. <laughs> ben Bear is going to sign a picture and, and send it to you. Exactly. <laughs> like send a special coupon for MLS store. You know, say you get 5% if you're 400 to 500, 10%, you know, if you're 100 to 400 or something like that. Yeah. You know, there are definitely ways that they could do it, which aren't, you know, super expensive. Um, that could still expand the prize pool. And I mean, some of that might be relooking at weekly winners or the red line challenge and see if they got the return on those invest on the investment that they wanted to. Um, but yeah, I definitely think um, expanding the prize pool is good, but more importantly, it's making it more accessible to locals. Like I would really like, love to see MLS and MLS teams go to supporters groups like the Timbers Army or Third Rail or, you know, whoever, for the new clubs, Atlanta, Minnesota, and for those clubs to go to their supporters, the supporters groups, and say, hey, we have this fantasy game. You should know about it, and we'll help help you offer some prizes, you know, throw in a scarf, a jersey, a signed jersey or something like that. Like, that's how I got into the game. New York City said, hey, top 10 in our league gets a T-shirt. That's not something that's super expensive, but – I was close to getting top 10 all year. That's why I stayed in it. So I think even some like little prizes, um, you know, even if that means taking some of the top prize money away, I think that's how you're going to grow the game because people aren't going to sign up for a game thinking they're going to win $2,000 because people know that's not realistic. But people will sign up thinking, you know what, maybe I can get like a T-shirt or a scarf or something, you know, like that. But I think it also has to do with advertising because – you know, when you're when you're looking at, uh, you know, uh, like a Thursday night NFL game, they're talking about fantasy. Fantasy is streaming on the bottom. Oh, Devonta Freeman tonight, 33 rushing yards, 27 receiving yards. You know, here are your stat leaders for this category. MLS doesn't do anything like that. The only thing remotely close is their partnership with DraftKings, and that's it. If they were to introduce it in their commercials on ESPN, like – Hey, sign up for, you know, MLSsoccer.com slash fantasy. Uh, you can win, you know, these types of prizes. If they, if they, I think, have some sort of a uh, um, an ad campaign that promotes that, I really can see there being a lot more than 30,000 users every single year. I, I really think it's, you know, you don't know because you don't know unless you're involved in the, in a, in the Reddit community or possibly have a friend that likes soccer. How are you going to know about MLS fantasy soccer? Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
Uh, so our next question is for Mike. Going to have you kick this one off. Should rosters continue to lock at kickoff, or should it be sooner, like 15 minutes or an hour before kickoff? Where's the guy when we need him? <laughs> um, I think it's fine at kickoff. Uh, I, I know on Reddit there was some discussion about having like a uniform time. Um, I, I think that's kind of difficult unless you made instead of you know the week starting on a double game week on Wednesday, them ending on a Wednesday, and then have rosters always lock at like six Eastern um, f- on Friday nights. That that way you know every week you're going to lock your roster at the same time. Otherwise, I want up until kickoff. That way I have the more time, as much time as possible because you have crazy injury situations, rotations, and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, I think it's fine right now. I mean, if, if you know you're not going to be able to be around a kickoff, you can make your transfers ahead of time and kind of take that risk, um, which isn't going to change because if we just make kickoffs earlier, then then everyone's going to be doing that. So I, I think it's fine the, the way it is. But maybe, maybe that's just me because I'd make sure to, to be around that time. So I was involved in some of this discussion on Reddit. And so the the logic behind it was if you push it back to like an hour before the, the game starts, then that means people are going to be forced to have a bench and they won't just hold their transfers and load up with players from those early games that you can see who the rosters are for. Um, I don't think that's how it would play out because I think like Blaine said earlier, there's always going to be this min maxing. And even if you have an hour beforehand, yeah, maybe we're all in the same boat and can't see the rosters, but people are still going to just put their bench with just a bunch of, of garbage and load up everything onto your, onto your starting 11. And there's a higher chance of people with the shuffle that happens and with the injuries that happen of not being able to have a full team. Even if you have rotations, you may still not have that that full 11. And I think the number of people who would complain about not being able to field a full team is greater than the number of people who may not be able to wait until kickoff for every game week. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Reed. Because, I mean, to me, having more of a bench, so you get, what, probably like two points instead of having a premium player who's going to get you – you know, maybe seven or eight, you're going to take that risk on the premium player, even if they're injured or rotated every time. But then you're going to be annoyed that you get a zero instead. So I I agree with you. I don't think that's going to change the strategy much. I think I come down on the other side of things. I think they should try to take it more like some other fantasy sports. And until that player plays, you can swap them out for another player who hasn't played. Mm -hmm. And I say you open up the transfer market all the way through, and as soon as that team starts or you hit, the, you hit the printed kickoff time on the website, which is never actually kickoff time. That's when they, <laughs> different, different question, different question. Yeah, that's when the player locks. When it's printed on the website, that's when the player locks. You can no longer add them to your team. You can no longer take them out of your lineup. It'll keep guys invested. I think it'll really help bring the community to the games. I know there were times I put a guy on my on my team, didn't even bother to watch the game, didn't have didn't care. He was one of those guys, just set him and forget him. Didn't have to worry if he played. I had an auto sub to do it. Take away the auto subs, give players a chance and make them look at the game day rosters, make them keep track of all their own players. Put that responsibility on them, but give them the option where if they miss a Friday night game because they're busy or a Wednesday night game for whatever reason, they still have a chance to make two transfers in and update the roster beforehand 
just give players a little bit more chance and a little more freedom, and that'll fix your injury problems and everything else. The Sunday guys getting injured in in warmups, there's no accounting for that, but at least there yeah. you've got a chance to do it. Yeah, you know, I, I like that idea. I I feel like that is a more is a less casual solution to it, but but I still I still like that idea. I think that is a, a total viable solution for it. But also, though, uh, I like that as well. But when you look at it this way, hey, if there's a Friday night game and it's FC Dallas and Mario Diaz is in the lineup, can now I have to possibly transfer Mario Diaz out, bring somebody in that's one free transfer. Then what if it happens on a lineup change that's unexpected happens on Saturday? I have to take another guy out. Bam, there's my two free transfers. Now I have to burn a negative transfer if I don't have a good bench. I think – I mean – I like it, but I think that that could present a lot of problems. Um, I do like the fact that, you know, lineups, you know, lineups will lock for that team, you know, at, you know, at kickoff. So if there's a kickoff time at 1 p.m. Eastern for, you know, you know, three teams, those lineups lock. But I think that that's going to, that there's going to have to be some sort of, better uh more open injury reporting um you know like 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 a friday press conference like like uh, the premier league does or something like that just to be more transparent and let us know um you know what's going on not only is just the mls fans but mls fantasy fans because i know a lot of people um across the pond are very deterred from playing this game because there's no injury reporting i mean they bring in a guy and oh he tweaked his hamstring <laughs> and, 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 and nothing is said about it. It's like, it's people don't want to play a game that there's no accurate injury reporting. And Mike, sure. to that sure. point, bravo on what you've done with MLS fantasy injuries. It's awesome work, my friend. Clap, clap, clap. Thank you. <laughs> so the last question that I pulled from Reddit is just about leagues and, and how could leagues, both classic and head to head be improved? Jason. Yeah. So, I think that there should be um, prizes for for individual leagues too. I, I really do enjoy classic leagues, um, but I think that the head to heads make it a lot more fun, um, especially you know if you got a group of buddies or uh, you know anything of that nature. Um, I also think that there should be some sort of a bracket challenge. So. You know, starting it in game week 20 and running into, you know, game week 33, it's a knockout challenge. So everybody that qualifies, you know, you have to have, you have to be an active player. You have to have X amount of, uh, you know, points in the season already. Um, and you can, it's it's essentially, it's, it's just completely randomly matched up. So number one can be matched up with number, you know, 5,000. It doesn't matter. And it just knockout, and you know the winner of that could possibly win, you know, season tickets or whatever the prizes are. But uh, I think that to improve on these leagues, there should be dedicated leagues um, from each team, um, and then possibly even from each community. So, like you know, we we have our league. If you win, you know, you possibly win a scarf or a, a pine glass or whatever, things like that. That we that that would incentivize people to play and win. Um, other than that, though, I, I really don't see how uh, these type of leagues can be improved. I mean, I have some suggestions for the back end of it, especially with 
with uh, sites that do have those large groups, we do get a prize for having what 750 by a certain point of the year. But it's so hard to sort through those things to, to parse things out. If we had better sorting to be able to filter out who was the highest score of this round, that would be great. If we were able to have access to email contacts or could at least just send something through the website to send to their email, if not that, I think that would be great for people who who manage larger leagues, head-to-head -head or classic, to be able to communicate to the players to keep that involvement. Like, I'm still trying to find whoever was third place in the r slash fantasy MLS league to get him a scarf. I mean, come on, man. I need to know what's going on. I need to contact these people. Uh, so I think that could be more helpful to, to that. And just on the dashboard, highlighting some of these leagues that that people know they exist and, and they can see that there are head-to-heads and classics and and blogs and, and podcasts and places that that are trying to build communities like we used to be able to see that like the top five leagues and that's gone now and i and i really wish that was back yeah i like that idea too that's the, that, that's great especially too i mean if you're like you know like a you know a top player you know possibly even um you know s somewhere on there on uh on the mls site showing you know, your top 10 players or, or maybe even your league or something. I, just, I mean, because everyone wants to be recognized, right? I mean, if you're like Simon, you've been in the top 10 for what, the you know, pretty much the entire season. And, you know, if, if, you're, if your name, Sir Miali, was popping up there, you'd be pretty stoked. Heck yeah. You know, wouldn't mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, anybody else have anything to say about leagues? Nope. All right. Well, that's all the questions that we have from Reddit. This is going to open it up for anybody else who wants to say something. I know you've at least got one question, Blaine. Yeah. So for we're second season into a homebrew uh, draft league because there wasn't a good one online when we started this. Had a lot of fun. Reed, I know you played with this for about half a season and just couldn't keep up with both regular fantasy and our draft league. I didn't know if you had any thoughts. And I know some of the other guys have been playing draft. I really enjoy it, but that's, again, the small group, and that gets back to the head-to-head -head question we just had. It really works best when you know the guys you're playing with or you get paired up with the team, and really I don't know of many places that facilitate that right now. I uh, want to open up for the community. Hit us up on Reddit or find us on Twitter, and if you want more draft content, let us know. I don't mind doing it, but is there even a demand for it? And I was going to open it up to you guys. What do you guys think of the draft game and – is there going to be a demand for it? Well, I'll Hell be yeah. a, ooh, I'll be a downer. Jason, you first. <laughs> well, I'm a proponent of it. Um, we did the uh, was it um, uh, it was what was it? I forget the the draft league we did. It was like app uh, app dot mls draft or something like that. I forget what it was, but we did it last year. I'm sorry, the, the beginning of this year and. Uh, the site went down halfway through the year and it was just, you know, the points weren't updating correctly, um, but it was actually a lot of fun. I, I personally, I, I enjoy it. Um, I enjoy the aspect of, you know, having to, you know, draft my players. Um, but then at the same time, I feel that it was difficult because you were really scraping at the bottom of the barrel when you did a snake draft of 12 people trying to figure out, you know, your, your defenders are so limited. Um, your midfielders are so limited and forwards are, even more limited um, since we only have, what was it? Is it 20 teams in the league? Something like that. So um, it was a little difficult to do that, but I think that there is a future for it considering, you know, 
and you know, especially here in the states, football is so uh, so big, and that type of um, fantasy system is great with that. But on the other hand, um, I think the uh, the people that would do it are maybe a couple hundred people. So I don't think that it would be um, you know a good uh, a good option at this time for MLS to think of that. Ooh. No, now I just agree with Jason. I think draft is cool, but uh, yeah, who's going to play it right now? Like people who are super, super into fantasy. I mean, whatever. I was, I've finished pretty well most years in this game and way better this year. And I can barely keep up with that and this podcast and stuff. I don't have time for a draft league as well. I think MLS just needs to focus on one, get the popularity of fantasy up, get the overall numbers up like they're doing on TV and then maybe three, four, five years down the road, draft is, is a cool thing when you got lots of people into it. But right now, I think it's good that people like Blaine are doing it, but maybe the league should should chill. Yeah, I think a lot of the desire for um, draft is to try, have a better head-to-head system. Because, I mean, right now the fantasy game – doesn't really make sense for head to head. I mean, I, I remember, you know, when, when Jason and I went head to head earlier this year, I used my wild card and he was on a completely different schedule. Um, and I mean, it wasn't a fair contest. Hashtag remember the 44. Um, but always remember, you know, 44. always remember the 44. I mean, it's hard with the overall game because everyone's on different schedules trying to emphasize different weeks. And so it's not a really fair. Um, contest. And that's something that I kind of really realized as I was playing, uh, as a lot of y'all have been playing, that MLS Show League that we're involved in. It's been really fun to kind of not have to worry about my picks last week and, you know, kind of make this, you know, have the same list of games to pick from and pick those players. And, and, you know, with the DraftKings and that kind of coming back into play now that a lot of the legal issues are coming into play. I'm wondering if MLS, if they really think that head to head is the future, maybe getting rid of the transfer limit and just saying, look, you have a hundred million dollars each week and you pick the best 11 and go from there. That way you don't have a whole, as many issues as rotation. So I would be kind of interested in maybe more of a system like that. If we're going to go to head to head. And I think that's really what people who are trying to get draft really want but with mls's schedule and rotation and buys and double game weeks i think it's really hard to fit a draft system into the way the the league is yeah i like that idea mike uh with that head-to-head system and i think that's what it is more more small self-contained games is really what's going to help mls just to reach a broad a broad group i mean bringing back the two goal three goal monty i think would be fun i mean having these these little games that they brought in the red line challenge and, and and this this bracket game that's going on right now with the cup playoff that's been fun and i think things like that throughout the season can help as far as draft goes um i think it would be dividing attentions right now so i'd be surprised if mls went that that route because it would just involve scrapping their game and doing something completely new or trying to do two things at once when they're still trying to get this one to take off so i i would be surprised if we see that with mls in the future Personally, I don't think there are enough teams. And that was, as I know, you know, Blaine, that I talked to you several times during the season that I thought the player pool was too small for the number of teams that were in the league. So if you had maybe six or eight players in a draft league that you were running, I I think that would make it easier. But I don't think you have enough quality players to to do something with a full 10 or a 12-man league, especially with a snake draft. 
your league in particular that that was a problem for me i mean with with my involvement with fantasy stuff with getting the site updated and getting podcast stuff and done that oftentimes i was like oh crap i didn't do that but just having the ability to say use the same team i did last week that that was the biggest uh, detract for me is that i couldn't just like i think i said that one time I was like can i just feel the same team and and the response was well what do you want me to do go up and look up and see what you posted i was like well yeah or i could just put it on a spreadsheet and you just keep using it uh just a, a way to just keep using the same team if i didn't want to make a change it, it became cumbersome to have to type it in all the time especially with with deadlines and things that i was trying to pay yeah. attention to um i mean that that's that's my one legitimate um constructive critique big, of, of what you guys were doing uh, otherwise it's a problem with our homebrew system anyway we have no programming behind it so it's all done through messages right and so like with with the google spreadsheet to just say here's my team if i forget to set something just use this that would have worked for me uh, to make it a little bit easier um but otherwise i do still feel like there is uh too small of a player pool of of legit players because we we know there may be a bunch of team bunch of players on those rosters but not everyone's going to play consistently so it's really not all the players that are there uh maybe when we get 22 teams it'll be better maybe when we get i don't know 72 teams it'll be the best whatever it's going to happen with mls and in the expansion future but um i i'd be surprised if we see draft expand beyond the homebrew systems that being said i plan to have some stuff on mls fantasy boss next year at least in the start of the season with some mock drafts Sounds good, guys. Thanks for that. Um, okay. <laughs> no, I, I'm a fan of what what we have, but it's again, it's a homebrew system with a bunch of guys I know. I think we've got close to 30 people in the in, across three leagues, and I know 15 of them really well. So it's it's a lot of fun playing with the same guys every year, and keep going. I don't know. It's I'd like to see head, uh, draft replace head to head and have. MLS put something on the website where you can just work together in there and they just load y'all into a room and that's where you go. Because I don't like the head-to-head model for the reason Mike said. But if it's too much of a divided interest, I can definitely understand why they wouldn't go with that. Yeah, and I don't know, but that's that's just what, what I, I perceive. If it's if you're going to have to split your, your effort, then it might not be the best interest right now. Yeah, I'm just curious what the community thinks about draft leagues and the and the potential future of them as well i'll keep playing my homebrew system because i have a lot of fun with it with those guys but it's really hard to get new people involved in that at times too Uh, so the last question that i had that was brought up uh from a good friend phil he was asking who do we think is or should be the target audience for the fantasy game and i think he's really meaning here the casuals or the hardcore people and uh you know, I, th- I think that's that's a hard question, at least for me to answer. I, I think right now it's the casuals, and uh, I-, I think that's why some of the hardcore people who stick with it the longest get a little frustrated. Uh, I think we're shooting for the middle right now in, in all actuality is maybe where it should be in the middle, and the best way to get the casuals is going to be those little mini games and maybe lean the actual season-long game towards a bit more of the hardcore. Sure. I mean – to me, the the thing is it's not geared towards anybody specifically. It's geared towards converting casual fans of the league into hardcore mm. fans of the league. Mm. And so yeah. that's what fantasy is for in every single sport. It's to get you to watch more games on TV. I mean, let's be real. MLS doesn't – I mean, yeah. sure, maybe they do care about the community, but they care about driving people to consume more of their product – and at that point, that's how do you get your casual fan 
to become a hardcore fan. So, of course, it should be geared. And, and of course, how do you retain hardcore fans being hardcore fans? So somewhere in between those two, I think, is what you can expect to see, or at least what you should expect to see. Yeah, there's been a lot of concern in the NFL with their ratings going down that part of the reason might be because the fantasy game interest has gone off. So all these bad games on Monday night that people used to care about and watch for their fantasy team, they're not watching anymore. So I I think, you know, if MLS is going to invest in the league, in the fantasy game, they're going to go for casual players because they want to sell MLS live subscriptions. They want to get people interested to go to games, buy, buy tickets, jerseys, and stuff like that. So... I mean, the hardcore fantasy players are probably going to be here regardless. So, I mean, it's probably going to be the casual players more so than anyone else. Yeah, right. The target audience is really whoever's going to play. And right now, you're you've got a lot of casual MLS fans that are the biggest market to target with the fantasy game. I think what we've been kind of talking about all night is they've just got to make the game more accessible to the casual fan, allow them to come in, and when they get invested in the game they'll invest in everything else. So you just got to have that draw in. And I think that's kind of been one of the themes for the entire night is how do we make everything better for the fans that are playing the game too? Yeah. All right. Well, that is all that I have for the show. Thank you everyone so much for joining. And of course, thank you everyone for listening. I know it was a longer show than normal, but I mean, what'd you expect? We're reviewing everything from the 2016 season. So I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Share it with your friends and, and be sure to stay tuned to MLS Fantasy Boss, R slash Fantasy MLS, MLSFI, Injury News, all the projects that we have going on. We're going to be taking a little break over the offseason, but we're going to come back with some new stuff. And we look forward to having you come back and join us for 2017. Thank you so much.